Now, in our house growing up, there was two days that we looked forward to. TGIF and must-see TV. I mean, we were ready to watch it all the time. I know you're trying to understand, wait, so you all would sit around and watch the same thing on TV? Yes, because there was no other option, right? I, I know now we have screens in our pockets and screens pretty much in every single room, but we grew up watching a TV that looked like this, right? You remember these kind of TVs with the antenna on top? Uh, the antenna right behind the two movies, Back to the Future in Greece. Great time to be alive. It was amazing. Uh, but those are the type of TVs, and they had the knobs on the front, and, and the knobs would always break off, and so you'd have to get a wrench and just stick it onto the knob. And then remote control? No, there's no such thing. In our house, we call them a mo control. Mo control. And there was no mo control, so what happened was, as my mom was watching the TV and uh, the kids, all of us were just in different places of the house, you would just hear my mom yell, my name, always my name, Marcus! Or she'd call me Marky Mark. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch! I'd come in, yeah, what's going on? You want to change channel for me, baby? Of course, of course, I'd love to change channel because I, I am the remote control, right? So you go to change it, but if, it's, if the antenna is not pointing in the right direction, you get a fuzzy picture just like that. You get that static, you get the snow, as they call it. And so you'd go up and touch the antenna and try to get it pointing into the right direction, but you couldn't see the TV, right? Because there were even big screen TVs. I don't mean TVs with large screens. I mean big TVs with a screen on them. They were huge, and the back was just insane. And so you'd be around the back and trying to get it, and you can't see the picture. You're like, is it, is it working? Is it working? You're like, right there, right there, baby. Don't touch. Don't move it. Okay. Can I let go of it? I don't think so. Okay, cool. So you're just holding it. I would love to know what show you're watching. I, I can only hear it, and they're laughing, and you're like, I don't know, I, I missed something. I can't see it. And so you're holding it, but if you would let go, sometimes the picture would go away. And that picture can sometimes be distorted, so you're not seeing the clear picture of what you're supposed to be watching. Sometimes in our own lives, we don't get the clear picture because our antenna is pointed in the wrong direction. We just sang that song, we have two options, rock or sand. Where are we pointing? Sometimes we're like, all right, Jesus, I'm focused on you. I kind of get a clear picture. And then we focus on the sand. We're like, God, I can't see you. I don't know where you're at. So today, as we're looking at living in our purpose, my prayer is that we're focusing in the direction of Christ. Because as we said last week, this is our theme verse for this series. And we're going to say it all together. It is in, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So I want to say this on the count of three out loud. Let this be something we really get into our, into our lives and into our minds. On the count of three. And then we'll say where it's found at the end. One, two, three. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Ephesians 1.11. You see, this is where we need to be pointing. This is where we need to focus, hopefully on Christ. And if we focus on him, we get the clear picture. No one has to be holding the antenna, hoping you're focusing in the right direction. You get to focus on him, and the static goes away, the snow goes away. You know what they call those, those pixels, that there's no pattern to them? They call it noise. How many of us in our lives have some noise that block us from hearing God's purposes in our lives? that we get an unclear picture of God's plan, so we're walking around life with an unclear picture, hoping that we're making the right decisions, walking in the right direction, and Christ is saying, focus on me, and I'll help you along the way. In fact, he would call himself the good shepherd, that he is always leading and he's always providing. He's always guiding, and he's always leading us to a place that is going to be fulfilling our purposes. He says, I'm the good shepherd. In fact, I am the gate, so no one can come and attack the sheep unless they come through me. And guess what? No one's going past Jesus. He always wins. He has a victory every single time. But he says, now there is someone who's going to come in. There's going to be a thief. 
And in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd, but he says, I want you to let you know, I know my mission statement, but I want to tell you the mission statement of the enemy. See, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy not only what God is providing, but his plans and his purposes for our lives. So what happens is if we're searching for God's purpose, as we defined last week, is our unique contributions that we are to make in the world, the enemy comes in and wants to steal those plans and purposes and wants to destroy them and wants to kill them. So we walk around aimlessly with an unclear picture, hoping that we're making the right step and the right decision, but we're walking away from the calling and we're not pointing in the right direction to get what God has for us. And I truly believe that Jesus said this, there is a thief. Although I'm a good shepherd, there is a thief. Because the truth is, a thief never wants to get caught. So if we don't acknowledge the thief, the thief doesn't have to do anything. But the moment you catch a thief, they have to restore everything they stole. And so Jesus says, there is a thief. And he's going to have to restore everything. And I want to tell you, that's the purpose of the enemy. But here's my purpose. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have come that I would be able to give you life and life to the fullest. Many translations say a rich and satisfying life. When it comes to your purpose, are you living life to the fullest? Are you living a rich and satisfying life? Or are we going through life with an unclear picture, with all the noise coming in, and hoping that we could finally see what God has for us? So my prayer is we would experience this rich and satisfying life, living with Christ and walking in our purpose. But the tragedy of life is not that life ends too soon, it's that we spend so long without even living it. So today as we look to God's word, we're gonna be figuring out how we experience this full life. Like really live in our best life as Christ would design it. Not as social media defines it. If you look on social media, there's uh, millions of different options of living, hashtag living my best life. Uh, they're often lazy dogs or really cute dogs or really ugly dogs. I'm not sure what it means or a mixture of all of them. Or you get people that have uh, really cut bodies and a lot of muscles, kind of like me. So there's, no, that's, that's not the case. Right, but they, they put hashtag living my best life, but, but that's not what scripture tells us. Christ would define living your best life is walking with him where you're experiencing the fullness of all that he has for you. And you're walking in your purpose without the noise and without the disruption, without the distortion, you're experiencing all he has for us. So Paul really digs further into this idea of walking in our purpose and understanding what God has for us, focusing on him in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Now Colossians is in the New Testament after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Acts, and Romans, and 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. And then I give you the acronym to help us out during this series, Go Eat Popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. That's the corn of the popcorn, right? So go eat popcorn. That's how you know where it is in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3. And, and Colossians is written because there was a group of believers in a place called Colossae. Colossae is, is near the Lycus River. Uh, this is in like the western part of Asia. This would be, you'd be able to see Laodicea. Uh, Ephesus is near this. And then there's Colossae. So this is like Turkey, where Turkey is. This is this area. So in Colossae, there's these people who believe in Jesus because there was someone who followed Paul. His name was Epaphras. 
Epaphras followed Paul, followed Jesus, and he went around and he said, I'm going to tell these people about Jesus and how their life is completely changed. And so he did, and people started saying yes to Jesus, walking this life, being free from all their past life, walking in their purpose, and everything is good. But then people walk in and start to give these hollow and deceptive philosophies. And people start thinking, oh, maybe that's how we're supposed to live. So Epaphras goes to Paul while Paul is in prison and says, hey, you know those believers? They're not living as they ought. They're, they're not walking in their purpose. And Paul, immediately being who he is, says, you know, first I'm going to write something because that's Paul. And he says, the only way to combat counterproductive thinking and false theology is to pr- provide correct theology. So that's what we're about to read today in Colossians chapter 3. So starting in verse 1, since, we talked about this last week, then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We can pause right there for a second. I know we read that and we're like, oh, Christ is seated. How cute. Uh, If we're reading it in in the original mindset, if we leave our Western eyes for a moment and think more ancient Near Eastern culture, you would see that there is someone seated at God's right hand. You see, in the tabernacle, there was not a seat Why was there not a seat in the tabernacle? Because the work of a priest was never done. There was always another sacrifice. There was always something else that needed to happen. There was always another miracle. There was always something else that needed to be done so the priest would never sit down. They were walking around hoping everything was good. We got to do this sacrifice. We got to get this. We got to get this lamb. We got to make sure everything's good. But now Christ is seated. Why? Because on the cross, he said to Telestai, it is finished. There's no more work to be done because he already completed the greatest work that ever needed to be done. And now our job is to tell people about that. And he's seated at the right hand. He's seated at the right hand because the right hand is a place of honor and authority and privilege. We know this from there's TV shows out now like the king's hand. This is that whole idea. That when the king's hand, when the person at the right hand of the king walks into a room, whatever they say goes, just like the king. That's Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of God. You've been raised with Christ, so focus where Christ is. Why? Because he's got the best perspective. He's got a better perspective than any politician. He's got a better perspective than any CEO. He's got a better perspective than Marcus does. He has his own perfect perspective where the picture is clear. So Paul goes on, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, there is so much going on in just these four verses, I just want to unpack them really briefly. But it's essentially, it's this idea that you're, you have a new life now to walk in the perfect purpose and calling that God has for you. So therefore, there's new realities, there's new life, there's new implications, there's new priorities. So wherever you are focusing, make sure we're focusing on God. Focus on him. If he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords, my prayer is he would rule in our hearts. Because he can't be king if he's really not Lord, right? We need to have him ruling every single one of our thoughts, every value that we have, every aspiration that we would have. This is Paul really sharing what Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things will be handed to you. Why does it matter that we reorient our lives toward Jesus focusing on him? Because the truth is, we become whatever we look at. So where are your eyes? What are we looking at? My prayers were set on him. As Paul would say, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. And now here, 
hear me, please, do not think that we need to be so heaven-bound that we're no earthly good. That doesn't help anybody. But our feet are on earth. Our destination is in heaven. So while we're here, we want to make heaven filled with people who get to know who Jesus is. There was an atheist who became a Christ follower. His name was Clive Staples Lewis. He would say this, C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard of him. He would say, focus on heaven, aim at heaven, and you'll get the things of earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So our aim, our focus needs to be on Jesus. Again, because he has the perfect perspective. He has our calling, he has our purpose. And why heaven? Uh, Marcus, why, why do we need to focus on heaven? Because that's where we truly reside. That's our new residence. We have a new forwarding address. Yes, we're right here, but, but all the mail can just go to heaven. All of it. That's, that's where we truly live. We have a new residence. This is, this is just a temporary place because heaven is our ultimate destination, is our ultimate home. So he says, set your hearts. When you see heart in scripture, it's talking about uh, the soul, uh, everything that you really are, the core of your being. Set it on Christ. You think, okay, set it and forget it, like the old infomercials. No, that's, that's what we call an imperative. So it is a command. Yes, you need to set it, but it's a present active imperative in, in Scripture as you study it. A present active imperative means set and keep on setting. And then reset it. And then when you mess up, set it again. And then you may mess up tomorrow and then set it again. And then what am I supposed to do when I feel like I'm really not in the mood? Well, keep setting it. Well, it gets really difficult when, when I have people coming at me and people say, well, keep setting. Well, I feel like it's just not, fe- I didn't say feel like your heart should be set. No, set it. It's not about a feeling, it's about a focus. Set your hearts on things above, no matter what it feels like, no matter what you have walked in or what you are walking through or where you have been, set your hearts on things above, set your mind on things above and watch what he does. This is the whole idea that we hear in something called the Shema. This is in Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, verses four through nine. Uh, it's, the, it's called Shema because it means hearing. It's this idea of hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. And then it goes on and, and, and know these words and bind them around your necks. Tell them to your children. Put them on the doorpost. Tell everything that you know about God and love him completely. Because the truth is, if you love God completely, you get to walk the life that you want. Really, I get to do whatever I want? Yeah, love God, do whatever you want. Really? Yeah, because if you love him completely, you're only gonna do what he wants. That's, that's the simplest way we can say it. Love God completely and you just get to go. All right, I'm going over here, I guess. Why? Oh, because God said so. Well, I'm gonna stop doing this, I'm gonna start doing this. Why? Because I love God completely and he's been speaking to me. Love God and listen to what he says. And you're like, well, I don't know what he sounds like. Right here. Dig into his word. Right. Learn from him and do your best to live like him. And, and watch him transform every area of your life. Last week I talked about some of the obstacles that we have, whether we're thinking that we were an accident or that we're not good enough. Today, uh, obstacles you can kind of like navigate around. You kind of, it's kind of like a detour. Well, I can't go that way, so I need to go this way because this is going to stop me from, from what I need to be doing. But today I want to talk about roadblocks. See, a roadblock will stop you in your tracks. See, a roadblock is the thing that says there is no detour, you're just going to wait. A roadblock is, is something that I've only seen in California, is when the, the highway patrol goes onto the road and does a traffic break. You're like, for what? I don't know, we're just driving the car, we're just having fun. Yeah, I'm not sure why. 
It's the traffic break. It's when everyone stops and there's miles and miles of cars because you can't go any further. Paul says there will be roadblocks. See, the thief, he cannot stop you from reaching Jesus, but he can stop you from living in your purpose. And so Colossians goes on as Paul is speaking, as Paul is writing in verse 5. He said, you've been raised, right? And, and now you're raised with Christ. You're hidden in him. You'll be eventually revealed with him. So he says this, now put to death. That's that present active imperative again. Keep putting to death. Okay, what, what do I need to put to death? Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Before I go through uh, reading this list, please know lists are very common in the ancient Near Eastern culture. It's not just uh, scripture that has many of them. A lot of different writings, a lot of historians uh, from around that time, first century and way before, wrote in a lot of lists. And these lists are to be freeing for us. It's not a list of don't do this because I don't want you to have fun. It's don't do this because it's going to hinder you from walking in your purpose. It's the same way you would tell your child not to put their hand on the hot stove. Not because you don't want them to have fun, but you don't want them to hurt themselves and possibly hurt others. So he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, I want us to understand that that word sexual immorality, we hear it, and there's many uh, false beliefs and theology about this word. Can I tell you that word is porneia? It's where we also get the word pornography. It is something that is distorting the beautiful gift of intimate love physically and, and emotionally in the depth of a connection. It's anything that distorts that connection from what God intended it to be. So he goes through that list. And then he says, but greed, you know, this is all idolatry. Idolatry, how is idolatry at the end of that list? I mean, it's this sandwich, and then at the end, that's, that's the bottom bun? What, what is happening? Why? Because essentially you're saying, my wants over God's will. And God said, no, my will is for you to walk into your purpose, to live in your purpose. However, these wants that are distorting the perfect picture that I have of you, that I want you to be transformed into my image, they're going to stop you from walking into your perfect calling. Jesus so says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We talked last week about wrath. This is God's consistent displeasure with the evil and the sin that lives within us and within the world. How can God judge that? Well, because he's the only one who is perfect enough to judge. The, the essence of his character is holiness, perfection, and a set-apartness. So when we come in with the things that are not bearing his image, he says, oh, something has to be done. My child, you don't look like me, and I want to help you. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways that you once lived, but now you need to also rid yourself. And then he goes to another list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Anger is just this, this feeling within you. Nothing has really come out yet. You just get angry. The person walks in the room. You start to get a little heated. Your maybe heart starts to pump a little faster. And you're just thinking. Uh, I like to think of anger as like if you were to pick out a pot and fill it with water, put a little bit of acid in it, and put it onto the stove, and it just starts to boil a little bit. That's anger. Right? And then he goes on, and he says, well, it's not just anger. It's when anger turns to rage. Rage is when that pot starts to boil over. Malice is when you hope that someone gets burnt by what's in the pot. Slander is when you say, I didn't pick up the pot, that was someone else. They started it. That's the lying. The filthy language, that's what happens when you touch the hot stove. Right? Yeah, exactly. Son of the Most High God, you are powerful. 
He says, remove yourselves of all of these things. He says, don't lie to each other. Why did he talk about lying now out of all of this list? Well, we're supposed to be living our purpose to be walking as the image bearers of the creator, of Christ himself. This is Genesis 1. In the image of God, he created them. You and I. Why does he say lying? Why does Paul talk about lying? Because Jesus, when he would say, I saw Satan fall like lightning, as we just sang in that song, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he would say, he is the father of lies. So when we lie, we're not bearing the image of our father. We're bearing the image of the father of lies. And Jesus says, that's, that's not living in your purpose. He goes on, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken, your old self with its, taken off your old self with its practices, so put on the new self. So here's what you put to death, here's what you put off, now I want you to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, right here, he says, remove all of these things, and one more thing I need us to remove is the division that I see. It's not class, it's not race, it's position in the family of God. That is the only way we can ever view one another. Man is not above woman. I had someone tell me, well, you know, I think man is above woman because God created uh, man first. I said, okay, I, I hear you. Also, if man was above woman, why did God say, that's not good, I need to make another one. <laughs> oh, woman is above man because God said, that's not good. Okay, perfect, well, why did he make man first? That, that, whatever your theology is on that, if you want to separate either of them apart from what God has planned, we're not living in God's purposes. Man, woman, child, whatever your life used to be, who you are now, God looks at you and says, oh, my child, my child. God, you don't know what I've done. Oh, yes, I do. And my child. Well, you don't know what they've done. I can't believe we even let them inside the church. Yeah, they're my child as well. But God, I... Yeah, do you know how bad you are sometimes? No more division. He says, we have to know, and you're reading that list, and you're thinking, well, that's not me. Sexual morality, that's not me. I mean, I'm great. We are, we are exposed to more uh, immorality and, and lust today in one day than previous generations were ever exposed to in a lifetime. It's in your pockets. It's on social media. It's everywhere. You're exposed to it. You're saying, that's not me. We call it not thinking. That's not me. I don't get that angry. That's not me. You know who, the, who should hear this message? Well, <laughs> what if, could, it, could, it, could it be that if we're supposed to bear the image of God as we're walking into our purpose, could it be that there are pieces of us that have kept us in bondage and we did, either didn't want to admit it or we didn't even know we were in bondage? That was the truth for a man named Oscar in 2011, he was 31 years old, Guatemalan heritage, left Guatemala at the age of 19, moved to the States, was living in Boston with his family, his three kids, one child on the way with his pregnant wife. In between the two jobs that he worked to provide for his family, he got home and he opened up his computer and he saw an email that said, you don't know me, as a subject line. He was like, well, I'm not sure what this is about, but let me look into this. He said, you don't know me as a subject line. He opened it. I said, hello, Oscar, you don't know me, but I know you. As you know, in 1960, between 1996, there was the great civil war in Guatemala where hundreds of thousands lost their lives. 
but what you may not know, in 1982, there was a great massacre called the Dos Eras Massacre, where hundreds of families were ripped and torn apart. And right in front of the kids and right in front of the parents, people were slaughtered. And 20 commandos came in and did whatever they wanted to to that village. Well, Oscar, you were there. And he's thinking, no, that can't be. You see, I, I lived in Guatemala, but I was, I was a few villages south. There's, there's no way that, that could have been me. And she says, but Oscar, I have good news. You actually were able to make it out because uh, someone saved you. Now, do you know who your family is? And he's thinking, well, yeah, my mother, I was told my mother died when I was younger. And my father uh, was killed in a trucking accident. I'm not sure exactly what happened. He's just thinking this, and, and the email continues. Uh, well, Oscar the man that you call your father, was actually your captor. You see, you didn't escape from the Dos Eras Massacre. One of the, command, one of the 20 commandos that came in actually kidnapped you away from your family, who was murdered. And the family and the person you call your father that you grew up thinking was your father your entire life was your captor, waiting to sell you and exploit you. You've been in captivity your entire life and you didn't even know it. Oscar begins to break down as he's thinking, my whole life has been a lie. And the only reason this came to be was because the cook of that army and that militia of commandos reached out to someone who was doing research to figure out if they could bring justice to these families that lost everything. He said, I wanted to talk to you because this thing in my heart, I can't live with it anymore. That's where we need to get this thing that's got me captive, I can't live with it anymore. I'm done holding on to that word porneia, whether it's pornography and it's just this hidden sin and you think the lies that the enemy would tell you, like he tells me. No matter what your vice may be, this is a list of vices. They don't bring out the best in us. We have to eliminate them. And you're thinking, well, you know, I just, I do this every once in a while. I, I, you know, maybe it's not... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an adulterer, but, you know, maybe there's this relationship that's a little too strong, and, and my anger isn't that bad, but, I mean, it can be, and I've only punched a few walls, and, and it's just, it it's really doesn't turn into rage, and I don't slander that many people. I don't lie about people too often, so maybe I don't need, no, you have to eliminate it completely, because what the enemy is doing is telling you well, one of three lies, which he has told me in my life. Number one, before I step and walk into that temptation, he says, Marcus, everyone does it. It's fine. Then you fall into the temptation, or jump into it, both feet. That's how I used to do it back in the day. I'd dive into temptation. Like, Lord, I fell into a temptation. He says, no, you didn't. You were looking for it. I would jump into temptation, and then the enemy would say, do you realize how bad you are? Look how bad you are. God will never forgive you. I'm like, the enemy, you said everyone does it, and now you're... And then he would say this, Marcus, you'll never be free from that addiction. You'll never be free, you'll never be able to stop it, and God will never forgive you. Oh, but it's okay, everyone does it. We have to eliminate those things in our lives because they're stopping us from walking in our purpose. And I know we came this morning hoping we could hear more about our purpose, but it's until that we're able to stop those things, remove those things that hinder us, as Hebrews would say, remove the things that hinder us, pursue God, run the race, continue to pursue what God has for you. We have to throw off the weight that is hindering us. If we're going to live an amazing life filled with purpose, we have to leave a life that was filled with nothing. We have to eliminate it. I'm talking full extermination. 
Right? If, if your house was infested with rats, how many rats is too many? One is the right answer. Right? If in your bed, how many spiders is too many? One. Even the thought of a spider in the bed is too much for me. Right? You have to eliminate it. It has to be continually removed from your life. And it's this idea of putting to death and keep on putting to death. Well, I messed up. Put it to death again. Well, I feel like my anger got the best of me. Okay, put it to death. Well, I feel like I, I started going to that area of gossip and I stopped myself. Okay, put it to death because there's something within all of us that says, ooh, I want the tea. Tell me more. Just, just a prayer. Uh, would you pray for X, Y, and Z? Because I heard some stuff. Eliminate it. Remove it. Eliminate what is damaging our hearts so Christ can fulfill and occupy the depths of our hearts. If there's anything in our lives that says, my wants over God's will, it's time to make that right. God's desires, God's wants, God's purposes over anything else in my life. That's how we get to live life to the fullest. Wait, really? That's live life to the fullest? That's how we do it? Yeah, you eliminate things so you can allow God to do more things. You eliminate the things that are killing us, and we have to kill those things or else they'll kill you, just to let you know. They will. That entire list, end them or they will end you. They've ended careers, they've ended pastoral careers, they've ended business careers, I've seen it. They've ruined families, I've seen it time and time again. End them or they will end you. But this is the beauty of it. We get to cultivate the life-giving practices that bring us into walking into our purpose. Yeah, Paul continues. He says, he says, drop all that stuff and then walk in this new way, in this better way. And you're thinking, well, I'll never be sinless. You're right, but you can sin less. And this is how we do it. If heaven is our destination, Christ needs to be our motivation and everything about it needs to be focused on him, everything about our lives. The vices will never bring out the best and don't lead us to life. But virtues, that's what we're about to read, the virtues bring out the best in you and those around you in a way that can't help but cause you to be more joyous, more filled with what God has for us. New virtues, new realities, new purpose. So he goes on, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, you have been chosen by the chosen one. Your life is not meaningless. You have a purpose. You have been chosen by the chosen one. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Let's go shopping. We're going shopping. Are you ready? Okay, here's what we need to buy. In fact, it's already been purchased for us, so we just get to put it on. You get to walk up into Nordstrom's and say, that one, that one, that one, that one, perfect. Okay, perfect, my size, they fit great. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. My wife and I in the garage right now, we have a bag of clothes uh, that no longer fit because God is growing us, praise God. He's just, <laughs> he's just growing us. Uh, but you know, some things have changed, right? It's okay, so we're working on it. Right, but some things have changed. And we had to get rid of those clothes. Some of us are holding on to those clothes. And if I can just be honest... Those clothes are ill-fitting. Those old clothes of anger and rage and malice and addiction don't look good on you. That's not your best look. It's not. I can try to put on that size 28 waist. I can try. But this 34 is going to be like, <laughs> nice try, buddy. You have that muffin top like nobody's business. The old clothes are not fitting well anymore. They're not. 
We have to get rid of them, but we put on these new ones. Compassion, kindness. I love that word, kindness. Kindness is this gracious sensitivity toward other people. Kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness is what brings us into repentance. As scripture says, it's your kindness, Lord, that brings us to repentance. That is the best looking outfit you could ever have on. If you want to get a good looking outfit for that first date or that first time you walk into a church, first time you walk into your business, let it be compassionate, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Walk in that outfit, and you'll change an entire room. People look around and say, what? Because this is very similar to Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, because that's the character of Christ. Right? Vice, vices distort, virtues reveal. Let's reveal what Christ has in us and for us and through us, walking in our purpose. So it's, it's not just, I need to eliminate things, and then these life-giving practices... Paul continues, and it's this idea of letting the character of Christ be in you. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Uh, Distance, discipline, dependence. Distance, discipline, dependence. Distance from the old life that we used to have. Discipline to be focusing on Christ as he leads us and as he guides us. Independence, even on the people around us. And of course, Christ. Paul would go on, he said, you want to have a life-giving practice? Bear with, one, with each other. Bear with e- this word bear means to endure. It's where the list, list in Galatians of spiritual gifts get long-suffering. It's endure with each other. Why? Because some of us are still wearing ill-fitting clothes. You may have all of the compassion. You may have just a jacket and a hat and shoes of compassion. It's just amazing. But you're sitting next to someone right now who's still growing in compassion. Maybe my compassion jacket has little holes in it. And you need to bear with me, bear with each other, and continue to forgive each other as Christ forgave you. We forgive one another because Christ has already forgiven us. And guess what? We're people. And as I like to say, people are people and people do people things. Well, they shouldn't have, I know. But people are people and people do people things. Did you hear what they said? I did. Because people are people and people do people things. But bear with each other. And forgive one another. If the church can be anything, let it be a model for the world of what the kingdom of heaven could truly look like. Let us clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and bear with one another. You think, well, this is, this is really difficult for me. Oh, to, to let go of some of these things. Well, it's, it may be difficult, but everyone in this room, everyone watching online, anyone who, who, is, who you're surrounding yourself with has struggled or is struggling with something. And you can bear with one another. You can say, hey, brother, that message hit me, and I'm dealing with some stuff I need to get rid of. I want to help you. We all want to help you. Maybe you can say, hey, hey sister, hey, hey friend, um, that anger is, is really in me, and I'm hoping that it doesn't come out, but there's some days that aren't as easy as they should be. Okay, we want to help you. We want to partner with you and continually walk in this forgiveness. You're saying, but forgive other people? That's really difficult. Okay, there's an essential piece of clothing that we have to have. Paul goes on, over all of these virtues, put on love. Love makes the outfit. Love is the pair of boots that remind you there's still work to do. Love is the tie that you get with that tux. Love is the beautiful pair of earrings that brings out your eyes, right? Love is the beautiful last piece of the outfit that you have to have, which binds them all together in unity. Love is what we need. Love, at times, is the missing piece of our outfit, so you can be as compassionate as possible. 
as kind as you could ever believe. But if you don't have love, as Paul would say, I have nothing. We need love. In fact, in the original Greek, love essentially is to gird yourself with love like a belt. Make sure you have this love on or else everything will just fall. We need to have love. It's the binding agent. Love not only bonds us together, it's the binding agent as well. Uh, I'm gluten-free. Same with my wife. Uh, Not by choice. I love the bread. Give me all the bread. Endless bread basket, I want it all. Can't have it. My stomach said, "Uh uh-uh. So just not going to work out. But uh, gluten is a binding agent. And so we get a lot of gluten-free things. Now, gluten-free has binding agents, but they're not like as good as gluten. So whenever we get something gluten-free, just the other day we had a a gluten-free sandwich, and the bread just starts to crumble all over the place. You're like, awesome, well, now, I'm, now I need a spoon to eat my sandwich because there's breadcrumbs everywhere. That's, that's what happens. The binding agent is love. Everything crumbles and falls apart without that perfect binding agent. We need the binding agent. And if you have the love of Christ in you, the peace of Christ will begin to rule inside of you. Let the peace of Christ begin to rule. Paul, Paul goes on. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful Peace characterizes every relationship that we should have. When it comes to walking in our purpose, walk in peace. Start there. Well, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I have a lot of gifts. and Okay, walk in peace. And let it lead to gratitude and thankfulness. Peace unifies. And peace will lead to thanksgiving. Because if you're finally at peace, which is something that the vices will promise, but the vices always deliver the opposite of what they promise. The vice that you may be dealing with or I may be dealing with may be saying, Marcus, this will make you happy. But the truth is, it breaks me down. The vices say, hey, you know what? This is going to let you be at peace. Just do a little bit more of this. And you realize that you're more restless. But when Christ offers this peace that he doesn't give as the world gives, it's a real peace that surpasses all understanding that will change everything about your life. And if you have that kind of peace in your life, it leads you to gratitude because you think, I am a slave who is now free. I'm a refugee who is looking for a home who is finally accepted into a place. Now I have a refuge where I am loved. If you experience that type of life transformation, you can't help but be thankful when you're walking in freedom. If peace rules, that's where Christ dwells. Christ begins to live. If if the message of Christ is dwelling in you, then when people poke you and bump into you, his message falls out of you. That's it. That's, as I said, uh, filthy language is what happens when you touch the burning pot. When anything around you starts to affect you, the message of Christ flows out of you. If it's dwelling in you, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. This idea of dwelling is to truly make its home. And there's no place like home. My, my wife and I just did a quick trip up to San Francisco for an interview for her internship. You could all be praying. Um, and we drove up and we came back and uh, we stayed at a hotel and then we were ready to go home. And as soon as we sit in the bed, it's, there's no place like home. My heart is that Christ would say, Marcus, there's no place like your heart. Marcus, with, with everything else going on in the world, Marcus, there's no place like your heart. Beth, there's no place like your heart for Christ. Right? My prayer is that, that he would see that, that. There's just no place like your heart. And this is as you're teaching and as you're admonishing, this word of admonish means to instruct. So as you're, as you're teaching them, but also instructing them in ways that people can see it with all wisdom through psalms. Now they say psalms because psalms were a way that they would begin singing. They would just start singing literally the book of psalms. 
start singing those psalms. And then hymns. Hymns are professions of faith directly out of scripture. Many of us know, many of us know them. On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Right? Hymns. And then songs of the Spirit. They would sing songs of the Spirit, which were actually their testimonies. This is my testimony from death to life. Well, Grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. We sang another song of the Spirit. Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I'll never be more glad. It's a song of the Spirit that we get to sing because when you know the message of Christ is dwelling in you, you can't help but sing his praise. When Christ is inside of you, worship flows out of you. You can't help it. And you'll see us lift our hands because we just want to surrender. God, if you have it, we want it. And God, whatever I have is not good enough. I know it's not because I've been dealing with it for years. And I've been saying things like, I can stop that anytime. But it's been 17 and a half years and I'm trying to figure out how I can stop it. So God, I give it to you. You can't help but worship. If you're thinking, man, Marcus, this is so much. What am I supposed to do? Paul says, I know that was a lot. He says, whatever you do. When you want to live your purpose, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Well, how do I live my purpose when I'm at my office? Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Yeah, but I'm a processor. It's, it's really boring work. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. I work at the DMV. <laughs> they need the name of Jesus. Do it in the name of Jesus. Please, next. I can't wait to take your picture, baby. Come on in. Do it in the name of Jesus. Well, I'm just, I just pick up trash. I'll, do it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you go through my life and pick up the garbage that's in my life and remind me that I am fully cleaned and fully redeemed. I'm just a stay-at-home, just a stay-at-home parent. Do whatever you do in the name of Jesus. Hey, kids, as we eat this breakfast, please know there was a time when we weren't sure what was going to be on our table. But God has come through every single time, so never doubt what God can do. I know we're about to go into talking about our math classes can I tell you the greatest math? God, Jesus, plus his spirit equals transformation. That's all we need to know. Well, you know, I'm in the military. I got, I got bosses and I got different commands and I'm getting ready to transition. Do whatever you do in the name of Jesus. Well, they tell me to do things maybe I don't agree with. Okay, as you're walking into the office to have the conversation with them, hey, can I just let you know that I'm thankful for your leadership? And I believe that God has placed me here on purpose, with a purpose. And I want to be able to help you and as you lead me. Whatever it is, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Walk in your purpose in that way. Oscar, as I shared, the Guatemalan man who found out his entire life was a lie. At the end of the email, she said, as I said, you don't know me, but I know you. And I want to introduce you to your father. She was in correspondence with his father who actually was at a different village at the time working and was away from his family. And when he heard the commotion, ran as close as he could. But he figured I could save my life and continue to share the story of broken people. So she said, I want to introduce you to your father. And he met his dad. Oscar is on the right. His dad is in the middle. Neither of them thought they existed. The father thought the son 
was murdered in the Doceris massacre, the son thought the father was killed in a trucking accident. And the dad said, I've been looking for you. So you may not know me, but I want, I want to introduce you to your father. God the Father who loves us. Where we focus on this passage, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Maybe you've been looking for a reason to be alive and there is no better reason than for us to introduce you to your father. His name is Jesus. He loves you tremendously. God gave his son Jesus on the cross for you so you could fulfill the purposes that he has for you and to remove anything that would get in the way. That's the Jesus I want to introduce you to. And if you haven't made a decision, we're still at the beginning of this year, maybe it's time to say, I'm after Jesus. So if you just pray with me, you can just close your eyes for a moment. If you're in this room and you have vices that you want to get rid of so you can hold on to the virtues, maybe it starts with just acknowledging that there's an issue that you need to give to God so that he can bring healing. If, if you're ready to say, you know what, I, I'm ready to start that process. And, and just to let you know, it's not going to be a light switch. It's going to be a dial. It's going to take time. There will be slip-ups. But you set and keep on setting. You set and keep on setting. You seek and keep on seeking. You put to death and keep putting it to death so that you can walk in freedom and walk in life, the life that is to the fullest that God has for you. If that's you, you just want to get rid of some things and you want to start today on that journey. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Let it be today that you start. There's many hands. I see you. I see you. It's a lot of us. Put your hands down. Maybe you're saying, you know, it's, it's not just getting rid of the vices, it's walking in these virtues. I need to become more compassionate, more kind, more gracious, more loving. I need to have more love in my life that would bring and bond people together in unity. I need that love. And first, I want to receive that love from Jesus. If that's you, you need more of those virtues to walk into them and start that journey today. Would you just lift your hand? See us? See us? Even online, you can just write vices or virtues. And we'll pray with you. So God, all of us right now, we have different needs and we know that you supply them all. So we come before you and we thank you for how amazing and how loving that you are. We thank you that you model it for us, that we can walk in our purpose because you've already given us freedom. So Lord, we begin to walk today towards all you have for us. We praise your name. And as a church, we all said, amen. Let's give God a hand because we serve a powerful, amazing God. Thank you so much, Shirt. Let's walk in purpose.